you welcome with me Jared Dunn? So great to be with you guys. It's an honor of mine. You know, uh, as Pastor Aaron said, we have a rich history going back years. Long before I was actually an executive pastor, and even before I went into ministry, um, God called my wife and I to leave the comforts of what I thought I'd do the rest of my life was be a school teacher. And at 30 years old, uh, on a Friday night, the one night they let the Holy Spirit out of the box, had a God encounter, and God called us to go to Australia. And in doing so, it was over there that I had my first connection with Pastor Aaron, not even realizing because his connection with the, his involvement at the Dream Center. And so when we came back to the States and planted a church, I had the privilege of meeting Pastor Aaron. And from that, he used to come to our church on an annual basis and just really speak into and encourage our church. And, you know, and I've always been better for it. You know? I, so you know, when he invited me to come be a part of this team, it was a no-brainer. And, you know, what's interesting is the first weekend that he and uh, Amanda were introduced to here at Coastline, uh, my wife and I were here to support them, and he brought us up on stage, and we got the uh, chance to pray for them. And he actually said that day, one day, uh, Jared and Kimberly will be here on staff at Coastline. And four years later, God made that a reality. So it's just an awesome privilege to serve under a great pastor. Now, here's the deal. Many of you know it's uh, the last Sunday of the year. And with that being the case, you know, all around the globe, people are planning New Year's resolutions again and again. You know, you see things, I saw a thing on the internet where it said uh, December 31st, and it showed a picture of a gym, and nobody was at the gym. January 1st, everybody was on the treadmill. <laughs> January 2nd, no one was there. <laughs> That's what health clubs live for, is January 1st, so they can get everybody in. You know, but with that being said, you know, the last Sunday, I thought I'd share a few New Year's resolutions that I found on the internet that I thought were kind of funny. So uh, you mind if I share those with you guys? Yeah. All right. First resolution, I will stop sending Facebook messages and emails to my loved ones when they're in the same room as I am. <laughs> you laugh. It's probably you. There's, your, there's one resolution for you. Number two, I will not sit at the kitchen table in my PJs all day long. But instead, I will actually move my computer into the bedroom. Number three, I vow to never take a laxative and a sleeping pill on the same night. <laughs> raise your hand if you've ever done that. Don't raise your hand. Number four, dear God, my prayer for 2015 is a fat bank account and a thin body. Please don't mix these up like you did last year. <laughs> you know, Forbes magazine released this study from Scranton University where they said that, that only, on average, only 8% of people fulfill their New Year's resolutions. Let me ask you this. How many of you actually do New Year's resolutions? Raise your hand. This probably is going to speak to my message here today. Because I don't see many hands going up. And here's the deal. It's not just about making New Year's resolutions. Because we set New Year's re resolutions, and then they quickly fail a lot of times. Hence the 8%. What I want to share today is some things that I feel like go beyond just New Year's resolutions, but to practices in life. Things that if we can apply these as growing believers of the Lord Jesus Christ, if we can begin to apply these to our life, we will be stronger and better. And as a church collectively, we will see God's dreams and vision for this church realized. So let me just do this before I go into the message. I want to just pray. And Father, I just thank you that this morning I get the privilege of sharing your message Lord, that you have given me, Father, with just an awesome church. It just, it humbles me to know and to know that you brought my family here, that we get to do life together. And so this morning I ask that as the message goes out, 
it does not return void, and it fulfills the purpose for which it's sent. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You know, as I mentioned, uh, Pastor Aaron used to come to our church. It always came and inspired them, and the people would always say, oh, I love his preaching. It's so much better than yours. <laughs> I know it is. <laughs> That's why I'm working for him now. But, you know, he, he posed a question to our church back then, and it was a question that, you know, to this day still sticks with me. It's a question, he said, do you know where the wealthiest place in the world is? And there was a long pause. And he said, you know, it's not the United States Federal Reserve or even the diamond or gold mines of Africa or even the oil of the Middle East. It's our cemeteries. He went on to say, because buried beneath the soil in those cemeteries are all the ideas that, were never, that never happened or the dreams that were never achieved, visions never fulfilled, books that were never written, degrees never earned, businesses never started, songs that were never sung, and messages never preached. People died with the awesome power and potential of God's intentions buried underneath the soil of good intentions. Who here has heard the adage, the road to hell is paved with good intentions? You know, it's a road that we probably prefer not to take because it does lead to hell. Most everyone has good intentions, whether it be a country an organization, a church, or people, you and me. We never set out to actually have our intentions fail or to cause a fallout or to hurt others, but it can happen. You know, I want to give you an illustration of this. There's a country everybody's heard of called Bangladesh. Forty years ago in Bangladesh, they had a massive crisis happening, and they had this uh, infectious disease that was causing a high rate of child mortality. And as a result, they found out that, that, there, that, um, the ki- that many kids were dying. And so the World Health Organization brought in charitable organizations, raised money, and installed over 10 million hand pump water wells to pull clean water out of, uh, from underground. Well, in doing this, trying to bring relief to this, this major issue that was happening, what they didn't realize until 20 years later was as they were pumping the water out, they were also pumping with it high levels of arsenic. What they found was, years later, the World Health Organization classified it as the largest mass poisoning in human history. Over 77 million people were were poisoned as a result of this. Great intention, wrong wrong result. And here's the thing. It's the same with you and me. That we can have great intentions, but have the wrong result. And as a result, we end up poisoning the condition of our soul our mind, our will, our emotions. And it not only affects us, it contaminates those around us. So it's not just limited to a country, organization. The same principle applies to us. You know, if there's anybody that could relate to this very thing, it was the Apostle Paul. Now, I know sometimes you kind of think to yourself, how can he relate to that? Because he's like a hero of the faith. Isn't he the most prolific writer of the Bible? He is. But as well, I want you to understand this. 20 years after his conversion, after on his third missionary journey, he wrote probably one of the most prolific and powerful statements that, that's really impacted my life that is found in Romans 7, verses 15 through 24. Now, for the sake of the length of the actual scripture, I'm not going to have it on the screen, but I do have it in your notes. If you would follow along with me, because this, I believe, will speak to your life and what every single believer goes through. Paul said this, What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another, doing things that I absolutely despise. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself, then do it. It becomes obvious that God's command is necessary. 
But I need something more. If I know the law, but still can't keep it, and if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyways. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me um, every, every time. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is right there to trip me up. I want to say that again. Sin is right there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in the delight. Parts of me covertly rebel, and just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? Who here can relate to what Paul's saying here? You know, the fact that here's Paul, the Apostle Paul, most prolific writer of the Bible, saying, I keep sabotaging my best intentions. Sin is tripping me up. So here's the deal. You know, it's like Hebrews 11. We see it as the heroes of faith. When in, act, in, in actuality, it is like, it's, it's the, it tells us about the unlikely misfits. Paul was an unlikely misfit. But you know what? He kept going. He did not give up. He also understood that he could not do it without the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, in this verse 17, when he says, I keep sabotaging my best intentions, if you look at the word sabotage, just in the basic definition, it means to deliberately destroy, damage, obstruct. Or if you just look at other synonyms, it tells us that sabotage means vandalize, to wreck, to damage, destroy, to cripple, incapacitate. So what Paul is really telling us is, Sin in our lives, not only do they trip us up, they incapacitate us, they wreck us, they destroy us. They damage our soul. So let me get something, just make it very clear, because a lot of times, you know, we can, we can misinterpret some things and get confused. And I thought Pastor Aaron did an awesome job the past few weeks, really giving a, a simple theology lesson, is that sin in itself does not send you to hell. Jesus paid the price once and for all for your sin. Just so you guys know. We go to hell because of our unbelief, but not because of our sin. But let me go to the other side and say it this way. But sin that trips us up does keep us from God's purpose in our life. It does hold us back from all that God has for us. So that you'll still go to heaven, you can still miss on what God has for you. You know, the other thing Paul's telling us is that, just like him, when you're at the end of the rope, don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Be willing to overcome with the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. And understand this, God is not angry with you. You see, many times we can look, God, look at God as a vengeful, angry father. You know, and a lot of times we project our earthly fathers, uh, their, their issues or the way, the, you know, the way they treat us, and we think that's how God looks at us. And that's not the case. God understands, and God loves you all the same. Now, here's the deal. It doesn't mean that it's right, because God has a huge future for you. So what I, my, my desire is that as you go into 2015, you won't walk into 2015 with guilt and shame and condemning yourself, but you walk in a spirit of freedom. You know, 2 Corinthians 3 says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And so I truly believe if we can apprehend the Holy Spirit in our life and truly connect with a living God, we can walk in a place of freedom that only you can walk in with that Holy Spirit. Now, this morning, I want to just share... Three commitments. It's three commitments that, 
you know, I'm not trying to give you self-help. I'm not trying to, you know, these are the three easy ways. These are three things that I have personally found in my life that have radically impacted my life. And I believe if you can take hold of these three commitments, and commitments are things saying, saying, I'm in. I'm committed to seeing it through. Not that I, you know, I hope I get to do this. It's actually commitments. And so if you actually commit to these three things, I believe 2015 could be the best year of your life spiritually, or it could be best if you make it the best year spiritually. You see, you can have an incredible year in 2015 in the natural. Your business can flourish. Your family can flourish. But if you're, if you're spiritually not successful, you're going to know it. That's why I know people that make millions of dollars and they're still empty because they're not successful, successful spiritually. It's so imperative that we connect with the living God. Get the Holy Spirit stirred up as, in us and arise to all God's potential for us. So here's the first commitment that I realized in my life that was critical. Number one, the commitment to not grow weary. You see, when I say weary, I'm not referring just to tired. Because, you know, for the first few years of reading the scripture, I just thought weary must be tired. You know, so I was thinking, do not grow tired in doing good. And what I realized as a pastor, the weight of ministry and the weight of responsibility, you're going to get tired. And I found myself getting really tired. But I kept going. I didn't give up. But I realized as I read this, and I began to dig and pray into the scripture, that the word weary means a lot more than just tired. When you begin to look at the Greek translation of weary, it actually means something altogether different. It means literally to be utterly spiritless. So what he's saying here in Galatians 6, 9 is let us not grow utterly spiritless in doing good. You know, many times when we become utterly spiritless, we lose our motivations, we lose our passion, we lose our direction. And so my hope for you is that you can this year, if you've been in a place of being utterly spiritless, you can begin to stir up that spirit of God in you and you can begin to see your life change. So here's some practical application. Because I don't want to just pull the engine out of the car and expose what the problem is. I want to be able to actually put it back in and so that it's going to run better than it's ever run before. And so here's some practical application on how you can truly live this out. Number one, prayer. I know that sounds very simple. But prayer is our life source. You know, you look at a marriage relationship, and how many of you know when the communication breaks down between you and your spouse, you begin to see problems. You begin to see, inevitably, you begin to see even divorce happens. I remember my parents married for 34 years, and I asked my dad, what was the cause of your divorce after, after 34 years? And he said, Jared, you know, we had 30 years of incredible marriage. We loved one another. It, it, we had an amazing life. But the last four years were absolute hell. And I thought, how is it that the last four years can be hell? And he said, this simple truth, we stopped communicating. And he said, we stopped communicating as a result, our marriage broke down. Well, how is that different between you and God? When you stop communicating, you cut yourself off from the life source. And so if you know you're in a place where you are utterly spiritless and you feel like your motivation has been depleted and you feel exhausted and you feel like you're just disconnected from God, he didn't move. We did. And so what do you do? You get back in line and say, God, you know what? I refuse to give up and I'm going to connect back to you. And sometimes it's a simple prayer saying, God, I need you. God, I feel alone. God, I'm hurting. Just simple things. I remember when I was 19, my mom died of congestive heart failure. You know, I wasn't raised in church. I had no context in church. I didn't know many Christians growing up. But I remember, you know, in college, there was a pastor that I met, and he said, 
I challenge you to pray a prayer. Just, you know, if you believe, I, I, I challenge you to pray and ask if God's real. And I remember sitting on the steps by Arizona State University one, one night, just like, there's got to be more to life than this. And I remember praying the prayer, God, if you're real, I want to know it. And God began to do miraculous things in my life. And suddenly I realized that God was not only real, but he transformed my life. And now when I talk about my past life, it doesn't even feel like my life. It's a completely different person. How do I know that? Because I know who I was and who I am today. You know, I was blind and now I see. That's the difference. And so prayer is a key thing. Number two, the second thing is the word. You see, the word of God is the will of God. It's what feeds our soul, our mind, our will, our emotions. It's what keeps us on point. So when we're disconnected in prayer and communication and we're disconnected from the word, no wonder we set ourselves up to stumble or to, be, or to sabotage our best intentions. The, other, the next one is church, being a part of the church, but not only being the church, you know, on Sundays and attending, but actually being the church out in the world. If you look at the, the word church, even just the two letters at the very center of the word church, there's two letters, U and R. You see, the church is not Pastor Aaron, and the church is not Tim or myself. You are the church. It's not the building You see, our job is to empower you. Ephesians 4 says to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And so we, our desire and passion is to equip you to be all that you can be out in your workplace, in your families, and here on Sundays. And so if we're truly going to live out God's dream and desire for Coastline, it's not us just shouldering the weight. It's you being a part of what's God's dream for this church. Another one is a fancy word called fellowship. You know, in Acts, the book of Acts, it tells that we as believers should have fellowship together. You know, that's why small groups around here are so important. That's why Pastor Aaron is always stressing the importance of fellowship. But not just because, hey, let's just hang out. Here's what fellowship means in the Greek. It literally means a cementing together. Nowhere else in the world can you have a cementing together than with other believers. And the cementing happens through the connection of the Holy Spirit. You can go to the health club, and you can have friends, you can hang out. But if you're not connected with another believer, you're missing out on the cementing together. Because that cementing together is the glue that keeps us on, on point and keeps us connected and stirs us up. So when you're weak, others can help make you strong and vice versa. You know, the things that you're hurting with, eventually as you get healed, can help, uh, help others who are hurting. Who's seen the movie March of the Penguins? A few people? You know, Morgan Freeman... Uh, was the person that overdubbed it. And I love that movie. And I remember in there, he was talking about the frigid cold, cold winter where the, pig in, or the, or the penguins would group up. You know, kind of like Carlsbad this morning. <laughs> How many of you know, like I woke up and I was like, where am I? I come out here, there's frost everywhere. I'm wearing a sweater. Now I'm starting to get warm. Before service, I'm up here sweating. Like I, I don't want to take my stuff off. I think, why is this guy stripping up there? But one of the things that Morgan Freeman spoke about in the movie was how penguins group up like in this huge flock and they would constantly do this rotation. And then the penguins go from the back to the front and they just kind of cycle it. And the reason is, is trying to keep each other warm. And what they do is they cycle so they can stay alive. What happens eventually is certain penguins will fall away from the pack. And they say what happens when they fall away and drift away there's hawks that will fly up just waiting for the ones that get kind of that drift away. It will come down and pluck at them and just and kill them. And what happens is the enemy, as the Bible tells us, lies and waits just to devour us. He waits just for that time that you can drift away, 
just seeing you discouraged, get disillusioned, get frustrated. And he's like, I'm just waiting. So that that one time when you are no longer insulated with that koinonia, that cementing together, and you pull away, he's like, pounces on us. That's why we need to hold each other accountable. We need to encourage one another, but we need to challenge one another. Another thing is fasting. What I love about this church is we take prayer and fasting serious. Going into January, we're going to do 21 days of fasting. And I love Pastor Aaron's, you know, him being so transparent, saying, hey, for most of my life, I didn't understand this, but I really apprehended some of the principles, and as a result, I've seen my life change. And I'll tell you, these are not things we want to keep secret. These are things to be shared. And so in January, we're going to share why this is important and how to do it. So it's not about having spiritual elite. It's actually we need to build up the body here at, here at Coastline because, again, we have a great, mighty future together. The second thing we need to do is act on our intentions. So first, not grow weary. The second thing is to act on our intentions. So why is that important? Well, here's the deal. We can have a lot of ideas or dreams, but if we're not committed to acting, it will never happen. You know, one of the things that I had the privilege of doing over this last year was going um, and getting certified in a process called STRATOP, which stands for Strategic Operations. And it's something they've been doing since the 1950s with organizations. And the person who founded this uh, became a Christian a few years ago and started doing this in churches. And in this process, realizing there's a few key things to understand— one of the principles of this starts with perspective. Perspective is knowing where you've come from. Okay, so you look at what are key turning points in, in that organization's life or in an individual's life. So meaning you were going like this and suddenly you went like this. For me personally in my life, a key turning point was age 19 when my mom died. I was doing this and I ended up going this direction. You see, you never ended up, you never, you never uh, intended to go this direction, but God will use that direction. And see, a lot of times we abandon the learnings from the past when they should be carried over to our present and to our future. But not just perspective. It's also important. The next step is planning. And planning is actually taking, you know, the dream and the vision and putting legs to it and begin to chart it out. And that's something we've been doing. Two weeks ago, we as a leadership team got away and we began to look at the next two years for this church. And we went through this process of planning, saying, okay, what does 2015 look like? And we didn't just hope and dream, but we began to chart out, this is what we know God's calling us to do. But we didn't plan this just with Tim in mind or with Pastor Aaron or Pastor Denny. We actually planned this with you in mind. Again, because our job is to mobilize you to do the work of the ministry. And so I know that we're going to be calling the church to a, even a higher standard. We know that, that God's calling us to establish a leadership culture here because, you know, we have great leaders in this church. Your leaders out in the workplace, your leaders in the home, but we need the leaders here at church on Sundays. We need church, we need leaders on Mondays in our small groups. We need leaders throughout the week. If we can truly mobilize leaders, we will step into a great mighty future. You know, I look at this church, how much it's grown in the past couple years. But just imagine what could happen if we planted another campus in North Carlsbad or in Oceanside. You know, we can reach a whole new grouping of people. And I believe right here in this room could be our next campus pastor. Or you could be, key, you could be critical in helping launch that, that campus. The fact is, you're going to hear a lot more about what our future from Pastor Aaron as he begins to uh, uh, unveil the vision. But just know, we're going to be challenging you to step up of what God's calling us collectively to do. Now, here's the deal. Many times the things that hold us back 
are the shoulds in our life. Like we say, I know I should do this. I know I should do that. You know, I heard a prominent pastor say, we as a people need to stop shoulding all over ourselves. (laughs) Yes, I said should. I know I should make God a priority in my life. I know I should quit lying. I know I should take better care of myself. I know I should quit getting drunk. I know I should quit looking at pornography. I know I should actually put a trash bag in the trash can every time after I take it out. Oh, that's actually mine. (laughs) My wife and I had a little point of contention the other day. She's like, in 15 years of marriage, why don't you put a trash bag in? I'm like, I know I should. And then I realized I'm speaking to myself. So that's my resolution for 2015, a trash bag. I'm going big. (laughs) But if I can be honest with you, if we look at the shoulds in our life, we can look at it where where the enemy trips us up. You know, where was the last time you said, I know I should do this? Just know that is just the enemy waiting to trip you up. You know, Paul said in verse 20 of Romans 7, my decisions such as they are don't result in actions. Another thing I I had from a a pastor, um, former pastor of mine, he used to say this, plan your work, work your plan, that's the plan that works. Real simple. And you know what? I, I thought well, the first time I heard that, it's like, it's so simple, but it actually is that simple. When you realize it, plan your work. Just write it down. And then work that plan. And you'll be, you'll be amazed that it will work. Now, listen closely as I say this. Intentions and intentionality are not the same. Though they seem very similar, they're very different. Intentions, as I've shared with you, one. Intentionality is actually putting goals in place to see that it's realized. Being very intentional versus intentions. So it's critical that we, are inten- we have intentionality in all that we do. You see, God's best will never be realized in your life unless there's great intentionality. Let me do this. I want to share the third, third commitment as I try to wrap it up and land this plane. The third commitment is a commitment to fulfill your intentions. So the first one was, Commitment to not grow weary or utterly spiritless. The commitment to act on your intentions. And the third one is the commitment to fulfill your intentions. You know, perhaps you start out 2014, best intention. You did it for a week, did it for did something for a month. You know, whatever it was, you started strong, but then you didn't finish it. You know, a lot of times, as I talked about the shoulds, there's also another thing you can look at are the but thens. You know, I started coming to church every week, but then... I signed up and I started attending a small group, but then. I joined the dream team, but then. I started to tithe, but then. And please hear my heart. The but thens are not to wrap you in shame and guilt, because if you feel shame and guilt around that, that is not of God. That's the enemy tripping you up. You know, it's that trap and the thing that trips us up that causes us to be disillusioned and fall away from the church become prey to the enemy and get discouraged and then point blame. Instead of like, you know what? I call it what it is. I fell down. I'm going to get back up. And here's the deal. Every single one of you is going to fall down. You're going to fall down financially at some point or fall down relationally or whatever it is. But when you fall down, do what the enemy won't do and get back up. Just get back up. Have the resolve to get back up. 2 Corinthians 8 verses 10 says, And here's my advice to what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give up, but also to have the desire to do so. Now, finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it. 
You see, the spirit of an overcomer, the person that gets back up, does not throw in the towel. They refuse. If you just refuse to give up, no matter what offense, however, whatever frustration, just refuse to give up, God can work within that. So I encourage you to make sure that you're stirring up that Holy Spirit in your life. Again, through prayer, through the Word, through the connection to other believers, through fasting, all those things will strengthen your spirit. I want to wrap it up with this. In 1968, there was a runner, a marathon runner named John Akawari. It was a 42-kilometer race. And what happened during this race was that he took a nasty fall after he collided with another runner. And they say he uh, dislocated his knee, injured his shoulder, and he could have easily given up because he was way behind in the race. You know, he was not going to win. Something altogether different happened in this story that ended up becoming one of the greatest tales of sporting courage that I think will kind of relate to this message today. Let me just show you a video. At the 1968 Mexico City Marathon, three men earned the right to stand on the victory platform, the winners of the gold, silver, and bronze Olympic medals. But for some, the reward is a personal one, the knowledge that they finished what they set out to do. A little over an hour after the winner of the marathon crossed the finish line, John Stephen Aquari of Tanzania approaches the stadium the last man to complete the journey. A voice calls from within to go on, and so he goes on. that lifts sport out of the category of grown men playing at games. A performance that gives meaning to the word courage. Perhaps the words of John Stephen Aquari epitomize all that is right in the human spirit. When asked why he did not quit, he said simply, my country did not send me 5,000 miles to start the race. They sent me 5,000 miles to finish the race. The light in this Tanzanian runner is a beacon to us all to endure to the end, to finish the race, however long and hard the road. I love that spirit of resolve. When he said, my country did not send me 5,000 miles to start the race, but they sent me 5,000 miles to finish the race. If you look at the scripture, 2 Timothy 4, 7, it says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. The same is with you and with me. I believe when we can make the commitment to not grow utterly spiritless, 
make the commitment to act on God's intentions and purpose for our life. And then make the commitment to fulfill those intentions by not giving up, even when you get knocked down, like John Akawari, to get back up. You know, if you came here this morning and you don't have any context or understanding of this God that we're talking about, that's okay. Like I mentioned earlier, I wasn't raised in the church. I didn't know God. But I had a pastor friend of mine say to me, if you just say this prayer, God will answer. And I believe this morning, the same as with you, that you have the opportunity, the awesome privilege to invite God into your life. You see, God desires a relationship with you. And it's not about what you do. It's just about opening your heart. Just believing in him. The Bible says, if you believe in him, you shall inherit heaven. So with all eyes closed, I want to give you guys the opportunity for those of you that maybe don't have a relationship with this living God I'm talking about. The God that will help your purposes and dreams be realized. I'm just going to pray this prayer. You don't have to say it out loud. We just acknowledge that God, if you're real, I want to know you. I need to know you. So Father, we pray this prayer for those that don't know you or have not accepted you or maybe they have turned away and they're coming back. Lord, I pray that they will accept you as their personal Lord and Savior and that God, you will work in their life and right now by them saying, come into my heart. I want to know you. I want to be in a relationship with you. That God, you will do your finest work. So Lord, right now, I pray through just a simple prayer I'm just inviting you in. Lives will be changed. And Lord, I know your best work is yet to be done. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, if you, if you, if you invited the Lord into your heart because you didn't know him, just say, God, I just want to know you. Will you do me a favor? Will you just raise your hand? Just, just acknowledge, see some hands. Thank you more than me seeing your hand, the Lord sees your heart because he desires that relationship. And I will tell you, just like he did with me, your life will be radically impacted. It doesn't happen just overnight. It's a lifelong journey. Refuse to give up. Keep the faith. God will do a mighty work. Guys, it's an awesome privilege to be a part of this family with you. I'm excited for 2015 to partner with you and to see what God has in store. We love you. God bless you and have a great weekend.